0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans on your feet. It's time
1: to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones DDS. We're part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today will be Luke Wyatt. We will talk about Vanderbilt's big win over then 15th ranked Arkansas over the weekend in hoops. We'll also get into a little talk about football facilities and timelines for those. Luke appears on the guest line that's presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael's a local carpenter and a lifelong Vandy fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, and made-to-order items, including a display case for my prized Dale Murphy jersey. I've seen Michael's work. He's a true craftsman. If you're in the market for custom woodwork, give Michael a call at 615-830-9458. You can also text him there. Now on to our interview with Luke Wyatt. Luke Wyatt joins us as he does most Mondays. Big day for Vanderbilt over the weekend on Saturday. The Commodores smacked Arkansas after trailing at halftime. One of the bigger wins at Memorial Gym in a few years. And frankly, one of the better halves of basketball. Vanderbilt scored 63 in the second half to knock off 15th-ranked Arkansas. Luke, I think you were there for that, were you not?
0: I was there. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, uh, You know, I like to look at these two-game increments. And uh, the last two games, I thought we played well at Tennessee, just one of 14 from three in the second half doomed that. Um, and, of course, a couple of ridiculous calls on basket interference and another one. But, anyway, I'm getting tired of those. It seems like there's been one in every game. Uh, But, anyway, Tennessee turned up the defense. We didn't shoot threes well. I thought our shot selection wasn't great. And uh, if that one would have been immemorial, it wouldn't have mattered because if you don't make shots, it doesn't matter who you are. Ask Tennessee after their game against Kentucky where they go three for 21 from three. Um, Anyway, and then, of course, Saturday, that was a wild – Memorial Gym, uh it, it's not back the way it was. There was probably 2,000 or so Arkansas fans. You know, I hear all this, and I want to talk about this for a second, if you don't mind, Chris. People were talking about it could have been 50% Arkansas or 40%. That's not the case. They were all sitting together. It, it always appears and sounds like there's more there because all those tickets are grouped in a big bunch. So it's going to sound louder. And plus, Arkansas's, all their fans had on red. So, you know, it just seems to scream at you. But there was probably, counting our students, I would guess the the crowd was probably 8,000. They announced it at 9,300. Don't think there was quite that many. I would say 6,000, Bandy 2,000, Arkansas. Uh, But the game itself, getting back to that, absolutely. I don't remember against a quality opponent, an SEC opponent, us scoring 63.5 in a long, long time. I, uh, I I was amazed by that, and I thought Tyron Lawrence, Jordan Wright, I thought the veterans, the older guys, really stepped up and did what they should have been doing uh, more throughout the year.
1: Yeah, I don't think that Jordan Wright's play was talked about a lot. And, and by the way, you said two good games in a row. Really, that's three because it was a three-point loss at Missouri, which was ranked when the Commodores played right. at Missouri. So really, right. and I, I, we can get into moral victories and stuff like that. But the team's playing well. Yeah, I think Jordan Wright is, yeah.
0: So I just think I think you're looking at eight and six. The only way they're going to get in the NCAA is to go eight and six and then win two in the SEC tournament. That's I think that's the formula. Uh, obviously, a little less than that it will get you an NIT bid, but we you know you still hold out hope you can get to the NCAA, and I think that's the formula eight six and then get to Saturday uh, on uh, in the SEC tournament. And that can be yeah, – I mean, the, the league, you know, you and I have kind of gone back and forth on this a little bit, Chris, but I just don't think the league's that great. I don't. I think well, we got a lot of good teams, but nobody great except Alabama.
1: <laughs> you, you, this, there's like three or four things I want to unpack here. Where I was going to go with the last sure. things, I think Jordan Wright is healthy now, and that's made a difference in them. I do think the yeah. league is not as good as I thought it was going to be. Um, you, you may end up being right on that one. We, we had a, a disagreement over that, I'm going to say, I don't know, a month, six weeks ago. I thought the league was going to be better than it was. So I, I think you might be right. I think uh, Kim Pomeroy's got Vanderbilt 7-11 and 11 in the league right now. We're at the point where it's close to all the preseason bias getting weeded out. Bart Torvik, who I think... When I look at his numbers over the course of everybody's seasons, I think he tends to be the computer that is weeded out more preseason bias than anybody. Has got them at seven eleven in the league. Them being Vanderbilt with the fourteen and seventeen overall record. He's also got a thing, and I'm seeing if I can find it, um, to where they look at. NCAA tournament chances. I looked this morning and for what he had projected, he had Vanderbilt, the number 60 team <laughs> out of the field, um, which was, you know, I'm sure destroyed by the out of conference stuff. But there's a couple things to bite off. There's a lot more to go into, and I, I definitely wanted to hit the officiating angle too. But uh, just to tie up some loose ends on some things we discussed already, uh, there you go.
0: Well, let, let me let me ask you. And I'm not as big on the analytical stuff, but uh, it's kind of like you know you watch a pro football game and they got that probability to win. I think that's the stupidest thing. You score seven to seven, they got probability to win ninety one percent for somebody, and then someone scores a touchdown, then the probability goes to seventy eight percent. I don't. That stuff means absolutely nothing to me. It's just like, <clears throat> for instance, they've got a, a if Ken Pomeroy has a seven eleven. So what happens if we upset Alabama Tuesday? Does he have us nine and nine? What does he do then? I mean, I, I just think it's game by game, and that's the only way you can look at it. I, I don't, that projection stuff. I, I don't put a whole lot of stock in. I know it's, it's, it's a barometer. I get that, and there's a lot of times when it's accurate. But I go by the eye get eye test and the gut test more than anything. Um, that's just my opinion on that stuff. But uh, anyway, yeah,
1: and I, I do increasingly too. I think like, Arkansas is a team that I don't think is as good as the computers have got Arkansas rated right now. Now, look, a lot of that is because there was some built-in stuff with Trayvon Brazil and Nick Smith Jr. both playing. That's two of Arkansas's best four players. So that's factored in the games that they played that helped Arkansas to get where it got. And Kentucky's another team that some of the computers I, I thought Kentucky had Higher than it should have been, uh, although Kentucky goes to Knoxville and, and wins there, so maybe not. But yeah, I do that, think that, that I think that both both Sagarin and Torvik had Vanderbilt in the six to eleven, or excuse me, six to seven league win forecast before the season, and that's kind of right where they are through the good and the bad at this point.
0: Right, it's just uh, one thing I think. You know, you talk about strength of schedule and schedule, and I go back to the bad losses. You know, I guess you you still have to call even though Southern Miss fourteen and three you still have to call it a bad loss. And then the uh, VCU game was we should have won. I think we're actually ahead of them in Ken Palm. Um, and then the uh, obviously the Grambling game is the one that sticks in my craw. There's no excuse for that, none whatsoever. I don't care what Coach Stack says. That one you can't lose on your home floor. At any rate the one thing that's saving grace for Vanderbilt is we have probably the toughest schedule in the SEC. I don't know if that's been ranked in any statistical category, but when you have to play Tennessee twice, Kentucky twice, Florida twice, uh, then our other uh, two is what? South Carolina and who's our other team we play twice? Or is it just four teams?
1: Uh, It's Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, and Florida the four teams they play twice. And Carolina. And South Carolina, there's five, right.
0: So so there's four teams there that are really in the top six supposedly in the conference.
1: Correct? Yeah. Well, let's see. So my, my, top, my top, here's how I'd rank the teams. In fact, I did it this morning. I would go, right now I would go Alabama number one unquestionably, Tennessee unquestionably two. I would go Auburn three, A&M four, Missouri five, Kentucky six, Arkansas seven. That's how I'd rank it at the moment.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's, so, so, I, so basically, except for Missouri, we're playing pretty much maybe the toughest schedule, of having to play those other teams twice. I don't know anybody else has had anything tougher. Maybe there is, but like for instance, Tennessee only plays Alabama and Arkansas once, and they have them both at home.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a huge that's a huge advantage. It seems like they've gotten the short end of the scheduling stick for years now. Of course, they play they play Florida. LSU, excuse me, Florida, Kentucky, and Tennessee every year twice.
0: Right, and I get playing Kentucky and Tennessee twice. In fact, as a Vanderbilt fan, I want that to happen anyway. But now, how we drew Florida as the third, I don't know how that well, how they come around to doing that stuff. But I don't, I don't get it. I know Tim had a big problem with the baseball scheduling a couple of years ago when we had we really got stuck on some travel stuff. I don't know it was having to play back to back road at A and M in Arkansas or something, but. I remember Tim made a big complaint about that, and it's been better since. So sometimes a squeaky wheel gets the grease, you know.
1: Okay, I did this for fun. I went over to Bart Torvik. Um, again, one of the, the more respected computer things, uh, forecasts out there. I've given, let's see. I'm, I'm going to predict in a win for just for fun, just to see what it says. A win sure. over every sure. single team. Left on the schedule, at Memorial Gym, and then just let it do whatever the probabilities say that they're going to do at this point. Which that's very tilted towards Vanderbilt, right? That that gives them wins over Alabama and Tennessee and and Auburn and and Kentucky, um, and then it just gives them the chance of whatever the odds are on the road, as it is, without without giving them road losses. Um right. so under that scenario, and and this is where they killed themselves out of conference. That gives them an eighteen and thirteen record overall, that gives them eleven and seven in the SEC. According to Bart Torvik, that still makes him the sixth team out of the tournament. And again, these these are forecasts. I don't know, but that's that's pretty loud. In other words, there's almost Nothing they can do to get to the NCA's without winning the conference tournament, according to this.
0: Yeah, and I I I disagree with that. I think I I I agree what you're saying. I'm not arguing those numbers. Well, I mean, look, if if,
1: if they get to eleven and seven, they are on the bubble. And look, if some of these teams right in front of them fall a little bit, then then maybe they're right there. But this is a computer; it does it without bias, and that just says they are a they are a long, long way from. Getting that that pre conference performance is just going to be and it happened to A&M last year, too, right? A M right. really lit yeah. it up down the stretch. The, the committee cares about what you do in preseason, and I don't want to spend the whole time harping on that given that they just had a big win. That's where we're going to spend a lot of our discussion. that's been popping up on my board. I honestly didn't know the answer what that would look like till we're just doing this here and now. But if you're if you're looking for what it would look like that is an unbiased opinion um, from a computer, and by the way, the computers have got Alabama a one seed and Tennessee a two at this point. That the computers again, this one being Bart Torvik.
0: Yeah, I, again, I don't, I don't pay as much attention to that stuff as you do, and I, I get it. It's a, it's cool to kind of have fun to do that, uh, to look at. Well, it's it. all we have, but I you, mean, I, yeah, I know, and when you factor that in and say we're eighteen, thirteen, or whatever. That doesn't factor in what all these other teams are going to do, you know. If if other teams get the injuries, Arkansas so that Arkansas lost two starters. Let's say Tennessee loses two starters, or Alabama loses two starters, and have a situation like they got going on right now. You don't know how that's going to affect the team. I don't know how close Darius Miles was to those to his teammates. You would figure he'd be like any other teammate. So that's got to affect you. I don't care. It may you know you don't know which way it'll go, uh, but you know it's a uh, those are a lot of intangibles to make predictions like that, and I just I like to just sit back and take them one or two at a time.
1: Yeah, for fun, I went ahead and and put in a win at South Carolina, which I think was forecast anyway, and then I gave them a win at Georgia. That makes them twelve and six, and in that case, they're still third team and first team out, uh, one behind Texas A&M in that scenario. Now, I, I think at that point, well, twelve and six is probably going to. I mean that's that's totally going to depend on what you do in the S. And look, I I don't think this is going to happen. I'm just playing this out to see the what if. But again, if people want to know, that's what that's what this is telling me.
0: Right. Well, I can tell you this: if we ha- if we somehow win tomorrow night, it'll be a totally different conversation Wednesday morning. Well, yes, we will win. I don't know that yeah. we will win tomorrow. But And I think it'll be a really tough out. I mean, and and I think coming off an emotional win and playing almost a perfect second half, it's going to be tough to replicate that, you know, 72 hours later or whatever it is. But, you know, if it happens, if it does happen, then you're having a totally different conversation if you've beaten Arkansas and Batman back-to-back.
1: I want to ask you about the officiating. I don't remember if it was you or someone else. And I'm not warranting any of this is true or fair or anything. This is just what was said. After the VCU incident, someone said to me, no, it wasn't you. In fact, I remember who it was. I'm not going to name names. But somebody pretty well connected in the basketball industry said, "You know, officials have been known to hold grudges against coaches who show them up. And let's look at some of the stuff you've seen the past few games. And I'm not saying the officials cost Vanderbilt games, but you had the goaltend at Missouri that everybody knew was, but wasn't. You had a, you know, a sequence of basket interference at, at Tennessee, Tennessee, where I think Tennessee. you were. What's that?
0: Tennessee knocking the ball out of bounds, and they were well,
1: it. Well, no, I was I was going to go through the basket interference where they grabbed the. The goal and snap the yeah. rim right before Jordan, and you know, and then there was a block shot and like even Dane Bradshaw. And I'm not saying Dane Bradshaw's biased, but you know, as soon as the basket <laughs> interference that should have been called happened, he's like, what? What were they looking at? And I'm like, even you, you could be Stevie Wonder and get that call right because you hear it right. Yeah. Um, you get the technical sequence against Arkansas. No, look, I didn't have any issue with Ezra Magnon getting a, a technical foul. I had people try to argue with me on the board that, that he didn't actually push um, Anthony Black. That's no. ridiculous. Go back and watch it. You can I, see I it live problem. without. Yeah. But, no, but no, here's, here's how that. At. Well, yes, I had a problem with him getting thrown out. That doesn't get you thrown out, given some of the other stuff. I have a problem with Anthony Black never getting called for a technical in that spot. That's, that was absurd. Yep. Anthony black could have gotten called for right for after that, that was incomprehensible. Anthony black could have been called for technicals at probably four or five spots in that game and never got one, um, to adjudicate that whole sequence. And look, Vanderbilt was at fault. And, And frankly, I think somebody had said that Studi had thrown an elbow or a forearm not long before Kamani Johnson took him out. Um, you know, you you always wonder what precipitates those things. I'm not saying Vanderbilt was innocent because I don't think Vanderbilt was by any stretch innocent um in that game, but I look at that sequence with Black and I'm like, how after <laughs> after watching all that on review, I mean, even live, he's standing over Quinn malore Brown. He's, he's taunting. On his foot. Yeah, how how do you look at that and say the the fair sequence is to give Arkansas Seven technical foul shots and Vanderbilt done. That just, to me, defies any level of reason and logic.
0: Here, Here's the thing, and here, here's what it is now, and I've said this before, and I'm no, I, I have proof of it in football. It's not just Stackhouse. It's, a, it's against teams that are supposedly not as good. For instance, this year, I would think if you go back and review all the games after the season's over, The bad calls will go against a team like Vanderbilt, a South Carolina, an Ole Miss. The bottom three or four teams in this league, when they're playing teams that they are supposedly not supposed to be, there's a bias. And whether that comes subconsciously or not, I don't have any idea. But when you go to the scores table and take 10 minutes to sort all this out, and that's what you come up with, I don't know how in the world Jerry Stackhouse didn't get thrown out again. I would have gone nuts on those guys. I I, I, just, you, I don't get it. Go
1: ahead. I was going to ask, were you surprised after the VCU game that there was no disciplinary action from the league? Because I, I get Jerry was frustrated about that. He had a right to be. But I, I don't think you it. have the right to F you the, the refs eight times either. That was a bad look for him. I was surprised. What does that tell you? When Was that just because it wasn't an SEC game? It was at VCU? I just kept thinking we'll see like a fine or something from the league after that game, and we never did.
0: Well, the reason why is because they knew they were wrong for, for instigating it. They're the
1: ones okay. who kick
0: Stackhouse off. I mean, without, without making right. that call, Stackhouse is fine. So, I, you know, I think when you know you're wrong, you just quietly go about your business. And they knew uh-huh. they were wrong. We knew it. Now, now I, I don't think I don't think Jerry's popular with the officials, um, but I, I've seen you know Kevin Stallings wasn't popular with officials. But when we had a good team or a team that was anticipated to be as good as other teams, we didn't we didn't get those type of calls all the time. It's just yeah. whenever you're, in the, the, it's just like they you know, I, and maybe that's across the board in sports, but it's wrong. That's for sure it's 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 it needs to be addressed that's for sure it's just well, like I you can, get in football
1: this season of the vandy sports podcast has been made possible by my friend dr jody jones dds when it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services jody is the best in nashville just check out his client list it testifies to that he sees movie stars music stars athletes coaches you name it Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore Booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast, because without it, this season would not be possible.
0: I'm sorry. In football, we used to send in, you take the clip from the tape, you have a problem from the game you have a problem with, you send it in, and all you ever get is a letter of apology. Well, what does that do? You can get Bobby Johnson showed me in his desk, he had 12 letters of apology during his career at Vanderbilt, 12 that did nothing but just get another letter of apology. Yeah. What good does it do? You might as well not even take the time to go through and and make your case. That's what I, they're not held accountable and people can say, yeah, they're graded and all this. They are, but you can just see that there's politics in it and you know, People don't care if Vanderbilt wins because Vanderbilt has a small fan base locally. You know, their fans, their students go all over the world and get jobs. They don't stay around Nashville, a lot of them. And and so what's the big deal? If Vanderbilt loses, everyone's fine with that. That's just the way it is, and it's crap. It shouldn't be that way. Not to Vanderbilt, not to a bad Kentucky team in football, not to a bad South Carolina team in basketball. It should be fair. Let's just at least do that. Because most of the time, the teams that are better are going to win no no matter what.
1: Well, and to be clear, I can understand some of that going on. I can understand that going on, that the home team gets the call. Certainly Vanderbilt has had its share of that happen in Memorial. But what I can understand is when there are plays in situations that everybody can look at and know what to do. And that's where they're getting the short end of the stick. And that's the part that I don't think is fair. Now, look, I'm sure he's not doing himself any favors. And I, <laughs> but
0: how can, just, how can a guy like Eric Musselman be a favorite of the fish?
1: Well, yes. I mean, Musselman does his fair share of antics. Sure.
0: Too. Yeah. I mean, so, there's a lot of, listen, there's a lot of jerks in that business.
1: <laughs> sure.
0: There is. Let's just be honest.
1: Yeah, and again, for Anthony Black not to get Wilson. And he's a great player. I love watching him play, but I don't know how, when they're handing out technicals at the rate that they are, that he doesn't get one at any point. I mean, the the, the taunting in game at the foul line, the standing over a player, the taunting the players at halftime. I mean, wasn't that supposed to be like a – I don't know if it's a point of emphasis this year. It's a point of emphasis every year, I think.
0: But yet, Liam Robbins can tap his head, not say right. a word. Right and get one.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I know it's the enforcement is all over the board. It's just like, how does that happen? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, moving on to the game. Um, That second half was something, man. Uh, You know, they get down at (laughs) halftime. They they get the the seven technical foul shots. Robbins has got two fouls and plays. I think forty seconds of the first half. To come back and just be clicking on that many cylinders at once was really impressive.
0: Well, let's let's look at it this way. If I tell you, Chris, okay, Ezra's out of the game. Trey Thomas is going to play the entire second half at the point guard. You're not going to play Paul Lewis any minutes to give him a, a blow. And that we were going to go 18 of 26 from the field, 21 of 23 from the free throw line, you would have thought I was crazy. Yeah. I didn't think – I was more worried – my biggest worry, and nothing against Trey, but my biggest worry was Trey playing the point the entire half because he has usually in games had spurts where he'll make back-to-back turnovers or, you know, make a couple of bad decisions that get you in trouble and get easy baskets for the other team. That's what I was worried about. But I don't think Arkansas pressured the ball near as much. There was a lot of token pressure, but as far as traps and stuff like that, they didn't do a whole lot of that.
1: Are you ready for the mailbag? Yeah,
0: let's, do, let's go to that. Yeah, it would be fun.
1: All right. Our mailbag is presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call. That number, 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. We've got a ton of questions in the mailbag today. And let's see where I want to start. Uh, let's go here from Freda's boss. How do you, Freda's boss? Excuse me. How do you view this freshman class as a whole? Do you feel like it has potential to be good players in this league?
0: Um, I, I think there's two that will definitely be good players. Now, one of them's got a lot of work to do defensively in Noah Shelby, but I think because of his shot making ability, he'll be good. And I think Colin Smith's gonna be really good. Now, the other three, I haven't seen enough. I think Lee Dort. Uh, is definitely has the physicality part of it already. Um, he's got to learn what to do offensively. He seems lost on that side of the ball, but I, I really, I, I, I'll give him a check mark too. Now, Paul Lewis, I saw him in practice when I've come over there to see Eric Chafin and watch practice. So, uh, Paul Lewis, I, I, he looks great in practice. That's all I can tell you. And it's Malik D, I haven't seen enough of him. I, I
1: can't make a judgment on him. All right, let's cycle through the basketball questions, and we've got some stuff with football facilities, which, by the way, we need to get into that today um, because it's sure. starting to leak out about timelines and such. Knoxville, 94, how do you see the Alabama game going?
0: Well, um, I mean, common sense would tell you it's going to be a really tough matchup because they're a tough matchup for anybody in the country. I mean, if you win at Houston, uh, Houston, to me, is the best team in the country, even though they're ranked number one, and you say, well, Luke, of course they are the ranked number one. I still think they're the best team. Uh, Alabama beat them, so uh, it, it, we're going to have to play—not like we did in the second half—but we're going to have to turnovers are going to have to be under double digits. We will have to rebound the basketball and somehow keep Brandon Miller from going going off for thirty or five or forty.
1: Okay, JDL Cav. Assuming no coaching changes, what do you see when you look at next year's men's basketball team?
0: Well, let me ask you a question on that. Let's just uh, 100% who has to be gone? Just Liam?
1: I think, I don't, I I hate the times we're in because I can't do this exercise with any confidence anymore. I think Jordan Wright's got another year because of the COVID and whatever and. Um, I think Ezra Magnone has another. I think it's just Liam, or, or maybe Quentin Malore Brown might be gone too. What um, about I could be wrong about that? Uh, maybe the, AM, Amsong's not really a factor anyway.
0: Well, I'm just. talking well, they about they signed.
1: Dead, so have, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, they they sign they're signing three, so that means they're they're counting on three being gone. Although they're only at twelve in the first place, so you could factor out, um, Robbins for one, and then. I don't know, maybe maybe song, but yeah, they've already they've already factored in at least two being gone.
0: So basically, more than likely, let's assume everybody comes back that that can, and then we get one transfer to be the thirteenth scholarship. I mean, I think you're looking at the same. Well, that would be fourteen say, what, at
1: that what? point, but yeah.
0: But, but my my point will be this: until and this is my criticism of Jerry, until he starts. You know he, he he even verbalizes this. You know we're trying that he uses that preseason conference uh, or non-conference games almost as a preseason. You can't do it, and surely he's learned his lesson by now.
1: Because how can. is he not guiding Guidance from somebody at the school on that.
0: I well, he, Chris. Common sense would tell you you have to win more than seven out of thirteen games unless you're playing top ten teams throughout that schedule. For instance, Kentucky went, what, 7-5 and five or something like that? They wouldn't even do great non-conference, but they had a very challenging schedule. Our schedule was not bad, but the teams that you had to beat, some of them, you didn't do it. So, therefore, when you don't do that, you got to beat some of the teams that were on the – you know, we have a good win against Pittsburgh. That's a good win. But besides that, there's nothing that's a great win in there. So that's got to yeah.
1: change. So I mean, the, the, the win at is, Temple was an okay win because it was on the road, but it's nothing more than that.
0: No, it's nothing. No, and, and and that's the thing. Either VCU, Southern Miss, and Grambling win two of those three. Just win two of those three, and you're sitting here today. We're having a totally different conversation from being nine and eight. You're sitting at eleven and six. So you yeah. know, you have a lot better shot to make a tournament that way.
1: Well, and, and looking at, at the Torvik thing uh, right now, Pitt with that scenario I ran, which has got them going twelve and six in the league, uh, Pitt is the one of the the four last teams in. Actually, the second of the four, so three off the being the last team in. Yeah, or two, I think, you I think it. NC State
0: is an NC State in that also.
1: Uh NC State is a sixth seed as of today under this. So yeah, that's oh, okay. that was a close loss that you get that win and that maybe starts to shape this a little differently under that. But again, that that is a you know, that is a less than five percent probability of outcome. I don't know what the math would be, but it's it's a stretch it's a stretch to begin with just to see what would happen if.
0: Let, let me ask you a quick question, Chris. You'd know the answer to this better than me. Okay, does it matter? Close losses to teams that make the tournament. For instance, Vanderbilt's 13 teams, including Grambling. There's a lot. Of, I think what 10 of those, maybe eight of those, are going to go to the NCAA. Probably.
1: Does that uh, of uh, the teams that, that they played?
0: Before? Yes, because think about. Uh, hang uh, on. Let's, I mean, you, you okay, here's that you got Pitt. Other myths may go. If they win, they're they're what 14 and 4,
1: 15 and 3. Yeah, okay. Let, let me just run this down again. This this is Bart Torvik's projections just one guy. Okay. Um okay. Alabama's a one seed, they're playing Bama twice. Tennessee's a two seed, they're playing Tennessee twice. Um but they beat Xavier in a scrimmage. That it's doesn't that- count. <laughs> um that- Let's see. No, I'm going down the seed lines and I'll get to them oh, if they're okay. in here. NC State is a six. They lost to them in Chicago. Auburn is a seven. They wow. will play Auburn, I think, here. Arkansas is an eight today. Of course, they played that one Saturday. Missouri is a 10. They played Missouri there. Memphis is an 11. Of course, that opened the season here. Pitt also an 11. We know about that one. And then other teams, that, this is where we get into the automatic bid territory. Let's yep. see. He's got projected grambling, and that's it.
0: So that's 11 teams that are in 2 out
1: of thirty. Yeah, and a lot of those games have not happened at, to this point. Right, right. He doesn't have um, – um, so I don't think he's got Southern Miss in there.
0: Well, you missed St. Mary's.
1: Oh yes, I did. I did definitely miss St. Mary's. St. Mary's, he's got as yes. a five. So that's um, well. I mean, it here's the, here's the real answer to your question. It depends on on the committee what emphasis sure. they put on the computer numbers because, like most of the computers, they're designed to be predictive. Ken Pomeroy is not telling right. you what Vanderbilt's done. It's saying okay because he doesn't see a big difference in beating. St. Mary's by one or losing to St. Mary's by one. If you're in that ballpark with St. Mary's, then he sees you as being a good team. Ken Pomeroy, he's got Vanderbilt at 88 today. Now, like you start winning some of those games, they're going to move up the computers. So it doesn't count as a stated criterion in how they pick teams. But if you put weight on the predictive computers, playing some of those teams close and losing would matter.
0: Okay. That was my question because that's a, that's another saving grace. You can count because you got to hope those teams keep winning.
1: Right, right. Okay. Uh, do, do we answer that question or do we take the roundabout on that one with other things? Uh, I, I forgot the question. Well, <laughs> well, it was about what Go the back. roster for next year looks like. I think we kind of hit on it, oh, but I don't know that we put a bow on it.
0: I, I would say to me, I always say this. I think, if if all those kids came back and let's say, yeah, you're somehow able to add one transfer, whatever, a big man or whatever. I, I think you're looking at about the same record because, if and that's what I said a while ago. If Jerry starts taking the non-conference more serious, if he doesn't and we go seven, six again in non-conference, then no, you're going to be in the same boat you're in right now.
1: Okay. Uh Another one from J.D.L. Cav. Vanderbilt men's basketball beat Arkansas convincingly this week. In your experience with the athletic department, what impact does a win like this generally have on senior athletic department officials?
0: Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know that it has any impact. I, I don't see – I've never saw during the time when we would have a big win, everybody would be happy the next day. But, I mean, there's nothing that impact that impacts – no, it's not impactful at all as far as the day-to-day operations.
1: I, I don't mean I don't. know. Maybe he meant job security.
0: Oh, okay. So if that's what he's talking about, no, that doesn't impact. I, I, I don't think it shouldn't. One, one game should never make or break. I don't. You know. Yeah, I mean,
1: I don't know. and it's the same thing about Grambling. One loss, it, it's, it's part of the body of work. I mean, a season it is is thirty something tests, and you know, answering one spectacularly or failing spectacularly in another one doesn't in itself. It shouldn't change what you think more than a couple percentage points.
0: I mean, all you have to do is look at some basketball scores from this weekend, and that'll tell you. I mean, how in the world does Kentucky go into Knoxville, out rebound them by twenty, uh, and Tennessee shoots three of twenty-one, and then you got a team that wins by forty or loses by forty to Tennessee that turns around and beats you? I, I don't understand. You know, it's, it's it's that's why you have to look at each game because it's always different. You don't know. One of them's girlfriend broke up with them that morning. They're not going to play well that night. You know, stuff like that factors in. Somebody's got an upset stomach. You know, it's just hard to factor all that in. So you don't, like you said, you don't put a whole lot on a great win, and you also have to take into account on a bad loss.
1: Okay, let's sw- switch gears to facilities. Um, we're starting to hear some things about construction starting in mid-March at this point. That's going to precede the question that's about to be asked next in the mailbag, but I want to just kind of let you have the floor for a moment to talk about construction coming up at Vanderbilt Stadium and what all that means.
0: Well, I'm you know, it's exciting to me because for years and years and years the point where we're at right now where I have actually see some construction going on over there and the fence, you know, Jeff Neely's already blocked off. It's just a walkway now. Um, I'm excited about that. The last time I saw that was in 1979 when we started to build, rebuild the football stadium. Um, that and, of course, McGugan being remodeled. But that's all I've seen in all those years. So, yeah, it's kind of exciting to me. Um, I have a little concern if – I don't know – how it's going to affect baseball if 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 they do start in March on the uh, closed end of the horseshoe uh, tearing out if if that's the plan or if they wait till after baseball I don't think you can wait that long personally but uh, how it would affect getting in and out and the logistics of uh, the of the football uh, or the baseball games
1: yeah. Um. Are they still doing I think they were going to do some kind of a luxury box on that side of the football stadium where you could oversee baseball too?
0: I think so. That that was originally okay. in the plans. I don't know if that has been scrapped or not, but I boy what a great idea that would be. <clears throat> I know at one time they were trying to get you're trying to get stands up on top of memorial. But then yeah. I think codes got said no, can't do it.
1: Yeah, but I, I'm hearing, and I don't have enough to, to state it as fact, are you hearing, any, hearing anything about a deck being built over the infield for baseball? Yes,
0: yeah, I heard that actually last year. After, okay. I think this was maybe during spring football. I heard that. Yeah. Someone told me it was practice.
1: Yeah, I think eventually you have to do that for a number of reasons, but yeah. Okay. Uh, the the question, and, and again, mid March is about the time they're going to start knocking out that closed end zone. Correct?
0: That's what I've heard. Yeah. Now you know how that goes with permits and stuff that could go to the end of March, but they they can't wait much longer. There's no way. I mean, I, I don't know if they're saying that we're not going to have all those seats. Obviously, they can't put all that back, but. Just to get everything cleared out for our first football game, to me, you have to start in, I would think, no later than the end of March.
1: I don't think it's on the timeline. Is, is there any way they get all that done before the start of 2024 no, season?
0: I don't, I don't think so, no. Oh, 24?
1: Right. 23. 24. 23, I, I don't see yeah, it. but.
0: No, 23, no. 24, yes. I think you can if you're very aggressive and. Yeah, you know, everything goes through without any hiccups. You can if you're listen. What they did on campus, they were flying around getting those things done on campus. All you have to do is drive down West End Avenue. Yeah, <clears throat>
1: there there was an urgency to um, <laughs> the dorms and stuff that I don't think seem to be there <laughs> towards athletics. Is that fair?
0: That's very fair. Yeah. Very fair. But you know that that's yeah, we know about that. We know why that is or why that's been that way. But I, again I think it this will tell us a little bit about Deermeyer, I think. Not to put this on him at all, but if the construction goes fast and we do have everything done and in place pretty much by twenty four, I think you can credit Daniel Deermire for that because he's the one that's gonna be able to push.
1: We're going off the path a little bit here. I don't know that we've talked about this on podcasts before. One of the issues with getting this done, well, or or not getting this done sooner was the stated need to have a power plant, which I don't think I've ever heard of that being (laughs) needed to build facilities, but that's the excuse that was used. What do you know about that and why?
0: Well, now I do know there's the power plants going up, and if they want to call it that, it's supposedly going to be on the outside of the indoor facility, that wreck field, that yeah. entire wreck field taken up by that, quote, power plant. Now, there was the, uh, you remember the old, I don't know, I always called it a smokestack, but they, where they burn coal over there on campus for, I, I think some of that stuff had become antiquated and they're having to do some things like this. I, so, in Vanderbilt's defense, I think it may have been needed. I think you get yeah. to a certain point, you have to have more power. And updated power. Maybe that's more than more power, I guess, updated power.
1: Does that have to be finished, though, or built before you do the rest? I mean, I'm, I asked that in complete ignorance. I don't know how these things work.
0: Well, I, again, I have a, a brother-in-law who's an engineer, and I've talked to him about it. And he said, yeah, he said, Luke, you'd be surprised what can hold up stuff. He okay. Said, so, I, you know, I think that, again, I think it, it's, it's, it's legitimate.
1: Raiders 1967, what is your view of the significance for recruiting of the new football facilities that will hopefully be constructed? Well, I, I think I think we can probably take hopefully out of it, but they haven't been done. But anyway,
0: your opinion. I'm sorry, I missed that question. Go ahead. Uh, he, he wants sorry. to
1: know once everything's built, what's the significance on that for football recruiting?
0: Well, it's, it's, it's huge because at Vanderbilt, it's, It's been such a long time between it. You know, the other schools kind of incrementally do things. We haven't done that. We would build something, let it just kind of go. We didn't maintain it and that type of thing. And now this is actually something that other schools do. So at Vanderbilt, this is going to be huge because Vanderbilt hadn't done it much.
1: Right. I mean, it wouldn't be as huge for maybe some other schools, but those other schools right. already had things. For Vanderbilt, changing from from basically nothing to a lot, is it can only help a lot, I would think.
0: Well, you know, the joke about, well, they put in new toilets and all that stuff. That's it, it, kind of true at Vanderbilt. And one of the things that you have a problem with at Vanderbilt is being landlocked. And I know they've used that as an excuse at times. But it's it, it's true. You kinda gotta go up. You can't go out. Right. There's nowhere to go hardly. So, and then having construction at Vanderbilt, you know how tight the facilities are there. It's it's hard to get anything done because you're interfering with everything else.
1: McGoogan's about to go upwards too, isn't it?
0: Yes. Has yeah. to. How, and how they can go outward Well, it can go outward too now because of the that with the street being closed now. See, right. I didn't realize this. I, I, and I don't know how this happened. <clears throat> Someone out there may know the street. That was a Metro street. That wasn't Vanderbilt's property. Just nearly drive. So how oh. did Vanderbilt buy the street? You know, I, I don't know. They had to, I guess. And to me, that could really have gummed up the works as far as how long it took them to get started because you have to purchase the street from Metro.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Who you with fee you is Vanderbilt added money uh, because for some reason, they're not telling people to the football, baseball, Jess Neely Magoogan project is the amount they're working with fluid. We've heard three to 400 million, but it could be more with changes that have shown up in recent pictures of the greenway. Now look, just inflation alone, I think could easily add a hundred million to the project. In other words, you do the same work and because you waited so long and because you hit it at a bad time, the cost could go up significantly and probably has.
0: I agree. I agree it has. And I think, again, that's why it's important that uh, Chancellor Deermeyer and whoever else is involved get this thing rolling and go as quick as you can because the faster you get it done, the less you're going to pay for it.
1: Okay, a few more before I get you out of here. Um, Hogan knows, do you remember Matt Tant from Harpeth High School who played fullback alongside Clark Lee at Vandy? I'm sure you do.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I'm from Cheatham County. I went to Cheatham County Central, but Matthew and uh, Jason, his brother, people don't mention Jason. Jason was the center for our team and got injured, had a back problem and some other problems. Uh, but Jason and Matthew both uh, played at Harpathy. I, I remember him. I still stay in touch with Jason a whole lot. Uh, but Matthew, I, I don't get to talk too much anymore, but yeah, I know them both very well.
1: NBA door was Rod Dowhower's staff, not him, actually one of the best of the past 30 years. After they left, they became interviewees for head coaching positions in the NFL, multiple NFL coordinators, position coaches, et cetera.
0: Yeah, I mentioned this before. Yeah, he had an incredible staff. It, it, there was a ton of guys on that staff who went to the NFL, had success in college, went to a Super Bowl, won a Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, he had a great staff. Uh, it just—it was ironic that uh, the way that was. The head man uh, had some shortcomings, but uh, his staff was good.
1: Ann Arbor door. Going back to Luke's days at Vanderbilt to today, when does Luke think the low point was in terms of athletic success and employee morale? And McGugan says it could be a year or a range.
0: Well, <clears throat> I'll just say this: <clears throat> the high point was Roy Kramer's administration, as far as what the athletic department and what the athletic director was had the ability to do. I think at some point it became the morale became a problem when you kept adding personnel. And you 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 can talk to this Chris and this has part to do with higher ed. You got people stepping on top of each other, worried about who's, you know, getting credit for certain things. When I first started working there, we had seventy eight employees. When I left it was almost three hundred and you're dealing with the same amount of sports. Now, I know technology has something to do with with that and uh, just progress in general, but sometimes progress is not a good thing. When you have so many people and so many many cooks in the kitchen, you can't get anything done. And then everybody's looking over their shoulder and walking on eggshells like, is he after my job? What's his job? Why is he here? Why is he, you know? So I think just as far as the time frame, the more people you add, the more problems you have
1: yeah higher ed is unbelievably territorial um and again i've said the the biggest problem in higher ed that i encountered is incompetent people banding together to form a coalition that makes it very hard for you to get anything done you got it in the name of in the name of everybody keeping their job and their salaries um i've seen it so anyway uh let's see what's next Let's see. It Might be about it. That is it. Uh, so okay, I'll throw it to you. Any parting thoughts on today's show?
0: No, I just uh, we well. I guess when we talk next Monday, uh, we got Alabama, and then we got what uh, Georgia. The next two basketball games.
1: Believe uh, so. The Georgia game would be on the road. Yeah.
0: So split. If we if we can get a split again, obviously if you beat Alabama, now you're talking. We're kind of back in the ball game, so to speak, if you beat Alabama. Uh, but uh, you got to get a – I think you need to get a split here because then you come back home and play Kentucky, which maybe they're getting their feet under them. I'm not sure about Kentucky.
1: Yeah, Ken Pomeroy has got Vanderbilt as underdogs in the next five games. That includes the road trip to Georgia. Georgia's 13-4. and four. I don't know if people know it, but Mike White has done a really good job down there.
0: Yeah, they're winning a lot of close games. I noticed they're – about every one of their games is single digits, but they're they're winning. So that tells me they're doing a good job of uh, late in the last four minutes of games taking care of leads.
1: Here's how close these last um, what is it fourteen games are supposed to be. Ken Palmer has only got Vanderbilt favored outright in two of them, and yet he's got them winning five.
0: <laughs> so uh, that don't. So, I mean, well, here's here's how it so makes sense. For
1: instance, they're supposed to lose to Mississippi State, but they're a forty-nine percent favorite to win. They're supposed to lose to Florida, but they're a forty-six percent favorite to win. What he's saying is all those games aren't going to go against them. They'll win a few of those at a borderline, and that's how you arrive at, at seven and eleven instead of four and fourteen.
0: Okay, but so what was it before we beat Arkansas?
1: Um I think he had them six and twelve. So we won a game and he added a game.
0: <laughs> yeah. And know. well, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be flipping about it, but I just, I don't, I'm sorry. I just don't, again, I, I just, I wait and see because I can tell you this if we get blown out by Bama, lose to Georgia, lose to Kentucky, that 7 11 is going to go down to 4 and 13 real quick, or 4 and 14 real quick. Right. You know how it is. I just, I just sure. got to wait and see. It's that, like, that thing when I watch a ball game and that probability thing. I get so angry at that. Probability to win, 51%. You know, I just, I don't know.
1: Yeah, uh, beating Arkansas moved them up from 97 to 88 in in his rankings. Right. So, so that's, you you know, that's just one guy. Yeah. you just, just The, one the game problem, well, go ahead, I'm sorry.
0: No, I was just saying you win one game, you move up 10 spots nearly.
1: So, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the, the problem at this point is it's, it's one out of 17. So you're going to have diminishing returns on right. everything you do at this point. Sure, um, sure. All right. Hey, Luke, thanks for joining me, and we'll look forward to catching you next week. By that point, uh, there will be games against Alabama and Georgia. There will be one coming up against Kentucky the following day, and I look forward to rewinding all that with you. Sounds good, Chris. Have a great week. You do the same.